You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa, and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Moz, who is locked up in the Mantro Hotel, and the, the conditions in the Mantra Hotel are really not good. There are a number of hotels where asylum seekers and refugees are being locked up and that was even before the pandemic. The pandemic has made it worse of course because there is the risk of coronavirus but prior to the pandemic what was happening is that a lot of these asylum seekers were brought to Australia because of the Medivac legislation which has since been repealed and it is terribly important to speak to Moz and people like him because we need to hear firsthand from refugees and asylum seekers, people who have lived experience, and also to talk about some of the consequences arising from um, indefinite enforced lockdown in um, not just hotels but also detention centres and offshore processing, which is cruel and unusual punishment. So we'll be speaking with him shortly. Um, The show has actually done some extensive work um, over the years with many, many asylum seekers and refugees who are both in the community and in detention. And we've also spoken to a lot of activists from the Refugee Action Collective and various other human rights organisations who are trying to get the refugees out and to get them out into the community and, and to bring them home. Then after we speak with Moz, I'm hopefully going to be speaking with Latoya, who Latoya Rule, who is the sister of Wayne Fella Morrison. Wayne um, is an Aboriginal death in custody, and the South Australian prisons and corrections failed him, and there was quite a detailed inquest about that, and we still haven't really got any answers about that as yet. But we were going to speak with her also about what's happening in um, prisons in Adelaide as well due to the pandemic. So coming right up is Moz, who is locked up in the Mantra Hotel in Preston. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM.
Blockade iMark is a platform for voices on the front line of resistance to mining and resource extraction. This year, while mining hasn't moved online, the International Mining and Resources Conference has. And although we can't have the same huge physical presence like we did last year, we will continue resisting this injustice and fighting for a better world. From the 22nd to the 29th of November, we're holding an online counter-conference, Beyond Mining, protecting land, water and life. To sign up for updates and check out the program for Beyond Mining, go to www.blockadeimark.com. Blockade iMark for Climate Justice, Sunday, November the 22nd to November the 29th. Blockade iMark is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And coming up now, we have Moz. Hello, Moz. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It is lovely to have you. Did you were you able to get a chance to hear the introduction, Moz? Uh, thank you. Um, yes. My name is Moz. I am a refugee who was uh, in prison on Manus for many years. For Six years and last year on 11th of November 2019 I was transferred to Australia for medical help and it's nearly one year passed and nothing has happened instead of treatment they are punishing us they are torturing us every day Uh, It is obvious that refugee lives do not matter for most of politicians in Australia. Just uh, imagine that uh, around 20 days, there is no any COVID-19 in Melbourne, but uh, the refugees who are sent to hospital, even for one hour, when they come back, they put their refugees on the, third, on the first floor in isolation rooms for two weeks. And the question is that, uh, is, the, is this what, what happens to other people who go to hospital for a few hours? And the other question is that, the, uh, is it also, uh, why, uh, why don't they put uh, the officers in quarantine rooms? If, um, you know, because they take them to hospital, and but they are coming back and working on the third floor. It, so it shows that they are using this virus as a torture, as more punishment. And when we talk with CERCO officers, when we talk with IHMS, when we talk with ABS, they don't have any answer uh, for our situation. They have started playing a game, and we are just uh, like um, people who are being tortured every day. When I talk with IHMS, they say that if you have any issue with an officer, talk with circle officers. We cannot do anything. When we talk with circle officers, why we have been locked up here for one year, why we have been deprived of sunlight, and they said, talk with ABF. When we talk with ABF, uh, they said, we don't know this answer. We just uh, have to wait uh, till we find this an- answer. And after one year, they haven't found any answer for us. 
we see that the um, politicians in Australia are very silent. Most of them are very silent. Where is the opposition party? Why Labour Party is silent? If they claim that they are uh, opposition party, why they are supporting Liberal Party for uh, about this issue? They are fully aware of the plight of refugees in Mantra and Kangaroo Point. But they don't say anything. Their silence is deafening. It really kills us. And uh, just uh, uh, tell you something that uh, a few weeks ago, and especially I think this week, it was this week, that uh, a couple of um, some people, some refugees came to Australia from Nauru and they got visa and they are in the community now. They are living with their families and friends and they just chose, you know, they have chosen us for this kind, for their game and they are torturing us every day. We have been chosen for their political game. We don't know what's going to happen. Why other people get visa and they just targeting people in Mantra and Kangaroo Point? What is my crime? What is our crime? There is no crime here. I mean, it, it's interesting that, you know, you were all brought here as a result of the Medivac legislation and then it, the Liberal Party repealed it, even though... It was voted in fairly. Exactly. So where do we go from here? I often ask myself that because, you know, it, it feels as if the reason why I call you really, to be honest, um, Moz, is so that you can remind listeners of what's happening because it's all about being able to Keep this issue alive. I know it sounds we sound like a broken down record, don't we? But we must, we must talk about it because the health of refugees is not on the agenda. Yes, I really appreciate all of you friends who are uh, fighting for our freedom and help us to keep the connection with our uh, families. You know, when they wanted, they really wanted to disconnect us with you by yeah. uh, with uh, confiscating our phones. And I never look at this as a small victory. I always uh, appreciate all of you. And um, I think this victory uh, brings freedom for us because people are hearing our voice. Uh, our voice is heard now and people always care about us. And uh, I see that uh, people outside Mantra recently are, have started a daily protest. They come at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and they sh show their support to us and we get hope. And every day um, uh, I see the numbers uh, getting uh, bigger and I see the, the uh, officers are getting anxious when they count the, the protesters outside. I see many officers are counting them one by one, and I see that how they are anxious about this. Uh, what we want is 
to be free and live with our friends and family. I think uh, the Australian government uh, should listen uh, to people, what people want. And people don't want to pay tax for my torture. People want always to help people. I think the Australian government shouldn't uh, discriminate people and they shouldn't blame a part of uh, the society. Refugees are a part of this society. Refugees are not criminals. And my message to all of you people is love. You know, uh, my, I have been locked up in detention for more than 2,600 days, but all of you uh, are in my heart. You know, this, I never look at uh, uh, this. You know, this government is very different from you people. They are torturing us in order to show, to show us that uh, you, uh, when, I, uh, when I am inside, I don't, you know, they want to show us that people hate us, but I never think like this. I always see the beauty. I always see love from people. And I see this is the reason that we can survive. This is the reason that we are strong. When I see the protesters outside uh, are uh, coming and um, protesting for us, and I, I feel that there is always a hope. There is always a way to be strong. Thank you very much. You know, Moz, it's, I'm really happy that, that you don't get sick of us. <laughs> you know, you're probably thinking, well, sometimes, well, you know, it must be difficult for you to, mm-hmm. to, to speak about the same issue all the time, is it? Um, I think uh, this is... Uh, I think I have found... Many friends in Australia. I, I have found thousands of friends in Australia uh, since seven years, and I feel uh, these people are uh, closer than my family, my real family, because you are listening and watching everything day by day. And sometimes when I talk with my parents, um, they are elderly. I don't want them to. Be anxious. Sometimes I uh, cannot tell them what is happening here completely. You know, I should tell tell them that I am always okay. But mm. you, I cannot hide it from you, people. And when I see the way that you care for me, I feel that you are absolutely a part of my family, and I really uh, appreciate all your support and. Thank you very much for fighting for our freedom. So, Moz, when can you give listeners just a little bit of an idea of where you were before you came to Australia? How did you end up out of your country? Um, I am a Kurdish refugee who fled from Iran because my life was in danger. The Iranian government, um, I think, is the most horrible government in the world. They kill people. They don't care about humanity. They hate Kurdish people. Um, 
and they massacred Kurdish people a lot. And uh, to be Kurdish in many countries in Middle East uh, is a problem. It's, uh, we Kurdish believe that um, people are same. I believe that men and women are equal. There is no any difference. And I uh, got, you know, in, in a very difficult situation, I had to escape. I, uh, I, otherwise, I would, I would be killed, you know. I would be in prison forever. And when people are in danger, when people are in a very difficult situation, they don't know where they are escaping. It's like a fire. No one knows what's going to happen when there is a fire. Everyone is just going to save their life. And I came to Indonesia by plane, and after approximately 40 days, I came to Australia on 25th of July 2013 by boat. And after a few weeks, they put me in a plane by force and sent me, transferred me to Papua New Guinea and imprisoned me in Manus Detention Center. I was tortured there mentally and physically. I got breathing difficulties. I got PTSD. I got uh, mental problems. And now I am here for treatment and um, even the IHMS, a couple of IHMS stuff, they, they told me that they, it's not possible to, to be okay when you are here. It's not possible that people uh, have PTSD uh, to, uh, to be better. And I just have to wait till um, something happens, you know. Moz, can they not bring at least some services inside to help you, like there, counselors? No. There is no. There is no any any way to bring any food, even sealed food. There is no any way to bring any medication. Uh, no one can come inside as a doctor or friend or family. Mm. We are completely inside a cage, and we see the world from the window. And my life now is like uh, the size of a room and a narrow corridor. There is nothing else. When I go to the ping pong room, there is no one, no one playing ping pong. There, all people are in the room recently. How many people are, are in the man truck that are, that are detained? Um, 65, 64, 65, like this. And this is indefinite. There's, they haven't said the government or the guards have, the government has not said that you'll be released anytime soon. This is indefinite? They, they never talk about freedom. They never talk about visa. They, what, I, what we are hearing just, hello, how are you? And many times they just ask, how are you, how are you? And it's, they are scratching me when I see the officers. I don't want to blame them. I, I don't want to judge them. But 
I, I am not here to uh, hear these things. I am not here to be tortured. Yeah. I, the, their work, the rules, you know, the rules they are working, the rules are very strict. Ten times yeah. a day, five times a day, several times a day, they come to my room. And for different reasons. And we just get very anxious. Well, Moz, we have to keep fighting, don't we? And keep on keep on actually organising to to free all the refugees. And I wanted to thank you very much for coming onto the show and for the, for the listeners to be able to get a background of what's happened. Thank you so much, Marissa, for having me and uh, sending love to all of people who are fighting for our freedom. Thank you, Moz. Take care. Okay, keep up the good work. Tune in to Imagining Disability Justice, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast on 3rd of December from 7am to 7pm. We're making space for disabled visionaries to discuss the pandemic year that was, abolition and building a better future. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2020. lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems, and now everything else. I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who, who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know? I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now but she might be quite left she might just be a spiritual hippie type but there's this broad appeal to things like save the children and great awakenings there's almost a hippie like quality to it particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of of traditional Q and it's getting people in there but Q is not just a conspiracy theory is it it is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months so your auntie's gonna be talking about make Australia great again in six months if she isn't right now You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time Show. Unfortunately, Latoya has is unable to make this afternoon's interview. There's been uh, 
a lockdown in South Australia um, with the pandemic and there's been a bit of an outbreak over there. And I think that she's been quite overwhelmed by what's happened in, in with lockdown and everything being... A lot of a lot of her plans have been changed. So, yeah, the, the pandemic, as usual, um, has impacted um, on everything these days. It's approximately... 4.27, but do stay tuned for the Do and Time show. I will be reading out um, a very interesting article about what happened with the towers in July and, and put that in context and unpack some of that. Something.
Time show 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au and this is Marissa. And it's approximately 4.31 and you just heard a song by Alice Skye and it's called Melbourne. So for the rest of the show I will be reading out a few articles and it always is very good to read articles um, and to do a little bit of a literature review in in regards to what's happening with media and what sorts of things are being written about prisons, human rights and police powers. So this is such a time. Um, it is a very difficult time of year um, because, you know, summer's coming up, everything's winding down. And, you know, on top of that, we've got the pandemic and also... It's been a, a dreadful year for all of us and, and also for Aboriginal people and indeed for black communities all over the world, you know, and in, in particularly in America with George Floyd dying and just a lot of things going on. Um, but anyway, I'm going to be reading an article from the New York Times and the New York Times has published quite a good article about the pandemic and what's been happening in Melbourne and this particular article is about the towers and what happened with the towers in July in, in Melbourne. And I'll just read it, read it out. A police swarm, frantic calls, then 3,000 people locked inside. On July the 4th, Australia's second largest city went into lockdown, but residents of nine public housing towers were singled out for even stricter treatment, leading many to suspect discrimination. One of nine public housing towers in Melbourne, Australia, where residents, many of them immigrants, were confined for two weeks in July as the city faced a spike in coronavirus cases. Now, that's by Bima Rondell and Christina Simons. And those are the authors. And the date is the November 12th, 2020. Melbourne, Australia. In the late afternoon of July 4, dozens of police vehicles pulled up at a public housing tower in Melbourne, Australia's second largest city. It was, witnesses said, like a scene from an action movie. But instead of responding to a terrorist threat, the officers were responding to a coronavirus spike. Minutes earlier, Daniel Andrews, the Premier of the State of Victoria, had announced expanded stay-at-home orders that would begin just before midnight. For one group, though, the lockdown would be immediate and far more restrictive. Hence the sudden police presence at the North Melbourne Tower and eight others, housing 3,000 people in all. While most Melbourne residents could leave their homes briefly to exercise and shop for necessities, the residents of the towers were effectively placed without warning under house arrest for up to 14 days. The authorities said the towers had explosive potential because of their population density but the concentration of infections was not out of line with rates in other areas of the city and private residential towers were not treated with similar alarm. To the public housing residents, many of them immigrants, it felt like discrimination. Complaints flooded the Ombudsman in Victoria, who is conducting an investigation. Um, 
Melbourne's broader lockdown, one of the longest and strictest in the world, finally ended on October 28th after 111 days. But while the rest of the city celebrates its freedom and what many see as a triumph over the virus, the residents of the towers are still contending with feelings of trauma, anger and confusion. Here are some of their stories. Loss of freedom, loss of life. Hassan, 32, said no one came to check on her father for more than a week after he tested positive for the virus. He refused to go to the hospital until after the lockdown was lifted and died a week later. Ebion Hassan, 32, said no one came to check on her father for more than a week. Um, she w- he was still foggy from a nap when she peered out the window after receiving a frantic phone call from her sister. It was like a nightmare, Miss Hassan, who was originally from Somalia, said in an interview outside her building in early October. There were so many cop cars. They had taken over the car parks. There were so many lights. And you think, what have I done? Miss Hassan's father was out for his afternoon walk. He was healthy at the time, though prone to pneumonia. So we had been very vigilant, she said. Still by July 7, three days after the lockdown began, he had tested positive. No one came to check on him until the 16th, Mrs. Hassan said. He was given the option of leaving their apartment and being isolated elsewhere, but he kept thinking about his best friend, who had never returned after contracting the virus and being removed from his home. My father was a very spiritual man and so afraid of dying alone, Mrs. Hassan said. He refused to go. On July 23rd, a few days after the building's strict 14-day lockdown lifted, Mr Hassan finally agreed to go to the hospital. He died a week later. He was 62. Ms Hassan is devastated by the loss of her father, but she is also reeling from a sense of betrayal about the way she and her community were treated. Government officials declined requests for interviews. It looked like cages, like a prison, she said. We thought we were in a free country. COVID taught us that we aren't free. It was the community itself that rallied. Before I have a dream, Martin Luther King almost died. This man saved him. At home with our ancient cousins. Sorry, that was just a bit of an advertisement there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. There are so many weird images in this paper. Anyway, there's a bit of entertainment. Um... Back to the article. It's approximately 4.37 and this is the Doing Time show. Continuing on. They think we're incapable, said Heber Shanino, 21, a resident of the towers, towers, but really it was the community itself that rallied and made sure people were looked after. They think we're incapable. Almost immediately after the police arrived, Heba Shanina, a 21-year-old legal practice student whose parents are from Eritrea, began to hear from people inside her building who were panicking. Some had run out of medication, others had no food or were receiving items that were not halal or in some cases expired. The State Health and Human Services Department was not providing information or help. Muhammad Yusuf the father of a toddler and an eight-month-old, 
said the surprise of the lockdown didn't allow for parents to prepare. We didn't have time to get the supplies we needed, like diapers or formula, he said. It was a shock. There were 500 police surrounding us like we were criminals. Unable to use communal laundry facilities, families were given bags to leave dirty clothes outside their doors to be washed. Ms Hassan, the woman whose father later died, said her family never got their laundry back. What we had, those clothes? Those are the clothes we had, she said. We can't go shopping for more. We weren't allowed to receive packages. What could we do? Miss Shanino, who was not at home when the lockdown began, decided not to return. She turned to others in the community who were looking to fill the gaps and a local mosque soon began organising deliveries of food and other necessities to the towers. She said that no one she knew argued that there, that there should not have been a lockdown of some sort, but it's how it was done, she added. The people who were making the decisions had never been to this place before. Why did they treat us that way? Why was it so disorganised? Why were we given no notice when the rest of the city was treated fairly with respect? They think we're incapable, she said, but really it was the community itself that rallied and made sure that people were looked after. We did it ourselves. Locked in, locked out. Barry Birra, 26, and his brother both contracted the virus, but he said the greater toll was on his mental health. Barry and his brother both contracted the virus and... And he was born in Australia to immigrant parents, said his mother was at work when the lockdown began. At about 7pm, she called me and said, I can't get back into the house. The police won't let me in. Her driver's licence still had a previous address on it and she was denied access. She couldn't get her work clothes or anything. I wasn't allowed to bring them down to her, says Mr Barrar, who works as a youth counsellor. She was not allowed back in the building for two weeks. Another resident... Noah Abdulia, 18, said that his two brothers, both university students, also were not home at the time of the lockdown and that the police wouldn't let them back in. They both spent two weeks sleeping on the couch at my auntie's house, he said. Neither was able to study because their aunt did not have a computer. Early in the lockdown, Mr Barra's brother tested positive for the virus. For my mum, she was very worried, he said, not being able to be there for us. Everything that people in the building knew about the prevalence of the virus came by word of mouth. Some people got sick and died, Mr Barrar said. Some of their loved ones weren't allowed out to their funerals. Mr Barrar eventually contracted the virus as well, but neither he nor his brother became seriously ill. The greater toll was on his mental health. As migrants... Many people who live here come from war-torn countries, he said. They felt that Australia was a safe space for them. Many of them have been here for 30 years. They've raised their kids here. I was born here. And now that this is over, it isn't the only challenge. It's how do we resolve this after the fact? And that was um, an article that was um, very, very interesting Interestingly, the text was chaotic, which really mirrored the chaos that was happening in the towers. Um, and it's, it's just awful the way that, that people in those towers were treated. And I think we'll now go into um, a song.
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Hey, 
and Time show. And this is Marissa taking you through until 5 o'clock. And the show's nearly over, and that was actually a song by with Alice Skye, and she's a wonderful Indigenous musician, and this song is called Speak My Lang- Your Language. So, yeah, this is the end of another show now, just about, and hopefully we will be able to speak with LaToya next week. Um, so today's show was really very much about looking at the human rights of refugees and asylum seekers and really also just reflecting back on the pandemic and, you know, how refugees and asylum seekers have been affected by not just the lockdown but also about how they're indefinitely um, locked up in the Mantra Hotel and other detention centres. And and I think what a lot of people don't realise, and we spoke to Max Costello um, a couple of weeks ago, from the Refugee Action Collective about this, is that basically, um, you know, Australia is paying for offshore processing when really what needs to be happening here is that the the refugees need to actually go out into the community and, and have, you know, permanent protection visas with a clear pathway to citizenship rather than locking people up um, and not, not only does it cost money, you know, it also, there's a lot of mental health issues that arise from that and all the health issues. And also, how are they being kept safe and being protected um, from coronavirus? We all know that that quarantine is unsafe. Look at what's happened, for example, with quarantine in Victoria and also the recent lockdown um, in South Australia as well with quarantine. There's always a lot of breaches there. And, of course, we can't alter the fact as well that we have insecure work here. There, You know, we need to have permanent positions rather than casual and, and more training and access for staff. Anyway, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm out of here soon. Um, tune in every Monday from 4 or 5 for the Doing Time show. Next Monday, the 30th of November, you're going to be tuning into a very, very special interview um, with an author um, and refugee interpreter, um, and Maria Union, and we Marie Union, and we're going to be speaking with her next Monday. Um, so do tune in for that, and I'm going to try and get Latoya um, back on the show as well to speak about the recent lockdown and looking at Aboriginal deaths in custody. So it's goodbye from Marissa, and we'll be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. Bye. Take care of each other.